Well, we as a church are just over the halfway mark in a series entitled Eternity, looking at what the Bible says about eternity, what the Bible says about what it will be like. And we've been using this phrase, a bit of a summary of what the Bible says, is that we will, as Christians, have resurrected lives on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Christ for eternity. And today, we're going to look at that last element, that fourth element, that we will have, believe it or not, according to the Bible, resurrected bodies. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon, a whole sermon, on the subject of what our resurrected bodies will be like. Well, you're in for a treat today, my friends, because that's what's going to happen. And I think it's true to say that, to be honest with you, for the vast majority of us, when we think about this kind of stuff, I think if we're really honest, we, we've read the verses, a lot of us, about like, you know, resurrected earth and stuff. But there's something in us, particularly if you're kind of from the West, where you can kind of think, I'm not sure I really do entirely believe it, Tom. It just sounds a little bit far-fetched. Jesus on the cross and all that stuff makes a lot more... I do have a resurrected earth. But I hope over the last couple of weeks, actually, as we've made something of a case for the biblical authenticity of believing that the gospel includes Jesus making a way for a resurrected earth, I hope you've been at least slightly convinced of that. Well, if you have, then I hope that you'll agree, even logically speaking, it actually therefore makes a lot of sense and there's a lot of need if we're not just going to be floating around on clouds, which is what many of us sort of intrinsically believe. Well, wait a minute, if we have a resurrected earth, guess what? You're going to need a resurrected body. And so today we're going to be looking at that subject because I think it's so key. And I want to just go straight for the juggler, as it were, today. I want to, I want to convince you that this is not just crazy. And I think the very best way I can do this, in many ways, is just by just pointing to none other than Jesus Christ, than Jesus. You see, as we've been saying, the gospel is not simply good news for your soul, that you have now been forgiven of your sin. Of course, that is true. But also, it's good news for your body as well. And Jesus Christ When we talk about his resurrection, it wasn't just that he came back proving that the work on the cross was sufficient. He spent no less than 40 days deliberately walking around planet Earth in his new resurrected body. And what Philippians 3.20 says this, says this, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, this is Christians. From it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, look, transform our lowly body. How dare you, Paul? My lowly body. To be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I want that verse to be burning in your heart. It connects unashamedly every single person who will ever love Jesus. It says, your lowly body, woo, there we go, your lowly body will be, it won't be tweaked, it won't be having a little bit of an upgrade, it will be radically changed to be like his glorious body. So what was his glorious body like? Well, in many ways, the first thing you have to know is, is that it was a body. It was a physical body. I mean, it's interesting when you, 
when you read about what happened when Jesus came back after his resurrection, the first thing he says, he says, I'm not a ghost. Okay? I'm not just, I am actually real, is what he's saying. I'm not a ghost, he said. I love the fact also that he walked on the earth. He was physical. He talked with his disciples. I love the fact, do you notice, when you read that passage, when you look at it, when he walked around for those 40 days, it's amazing that he actually picked up his relationships with his friends straight away. There was continuity. His, his resurrection body didn't mean that everything was so brand new, he's like, my memory has been erased. No, no, there was a continuity. He knew his friendships. Does that mean that for us, when we one day as Christians receive our glorious body, that actually what it will mean also is that for those of you who are Christians here, we will still absolutely have those friendships. As I often say, we will know each other, if you're a Christian here today, for eternity. Friendship is eternal. It's amazing. Jesus was still male. Mary called him sir. His voice was still his voice. You know, when he said to Mary, Mary, she was, oh, Jesus. So it wasn't like, Mary! It wasn't some sort of crazy Hollywood angel voice. It was Jesus' voice. So his resurrection body, it was glorious, but he had the same voice, right? We can learn so much from it. I love it. It says he stood on the shore. He even built a fire. I love that. He had this glorious resurrected body, but he built a fire and he cooked some fish. He didn't snap his fingers. He cooked. This is telling us so much. This is the resurrected Jesus. It's already begun. The first fruit is what the Bible says. The first one. And we will one day be like him. He ate. And it says that he breathed on his disciples in John 17. He breathed on them. He was close enough to even be able to breathe on them, the breath of God. Now, in one way, what I'm saying is this glorious body, we have to understand, is a real body that you and I as Christians will one day have. But what we also see is this, this sort of, um, these little elements that maybe hint, or maybe do more than hint, that Jesus' resurrection body wasn't just exactly like it was at all. It seems that he appeared at one moment through almost like a wall. And then later on, it says he disappeared when he was talking to his disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. He just disappeared. And of course, there's the ascension where Jesus ascended. Now, I don't understand that. But maybe, maybe we see here that Jesus' body was amazing in many ways and yet also there was this continuity is what we're saying. So there's a, I want us to have that foundation in our hearts as we, as we think about this. We, he will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. The gospel is not simply a gospel about your soul being forgiven. It also involves your body. And I want us to look at that here today. If you've got a Bible, turn, to me, uh, turn with me rather to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because you see, for Paul... This kind of stuff wasn't just like, oh, interesting head knowledge, Tom, that I learn about every so often on a Sunday. What Paul does here is what we're going to do this morning is he connects these truths about Jesus's glorious body, his stunning resurrection body, with three things. He unpacks this general truth specifically in three ways. 
that I want to say with all my heart, right now you might think this is a bit of a weird topic, Tom. I want to show you with all my heart that this is the most practical, down-to-earth, right now, as it were, powerful topic. That's what Paul does here. Look, look here in this amazing chapter. If you want a chapter that's just going to blow your socks off, in your own time, read the whole of 1 Corinthians 15. It is, it is amazing. And he says here, he's talking here about the idea that when we die, it's a bit like a seed goes into the earth and it kind of dies. And then what happens after that is it kind of comes back in this amazing form as a flower or a plant. And he uses that analogy here. And he says three things from that analogy that I want us to meditate on today about what our our new bodies will be like. It says here, verse 42, chapter 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is, here we go, number one, perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Number two, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Number three, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And so then this final phrase here is like a summary of all those three elements. It is sown just a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And that doesn't mean, oh, wait a minute, it's like a body, but it's not a body because it's a spiritual thing. No, Jesus' body, as we've just seen, was a real body. I think what it probably means is is that there will be this, this otherness to it that is just somewhat beyond our comprehension. So let's pray, ask the Lord's help as we look at these three elements of what our bodies will be like one day, perhaps sooner than we realize. Jesus, we love you. We press into you today. We love your word. We love your word. It's perfect. And I just pray right now for those in this room for whom actually the subject of their body, whether they know it yet or not, is a bigger issue than they realize. That in your kindness now, you will move in this room in power. You will anoint my words and you will let your word live. God, come and raise us to life, I pray again in Jesus' name. Amen. So just three things I want to look at this morning. Three things that this body will have that will be marked by. It will be imperishable. It will be in glory. And it will be in power. It will be imperishable, it will be in glory, and it will be in power. Okay, first of all then he says it is sown perishable, but it is raised imperishable. Now why is this, why is this relevant? Well, he's using this analogy, as I said, I think of a little seed, you might not be into gardening, I'm not particularly, but the, the idea is pretty easy to, to grasp. A little seed, I'm told, goes into the ground, and the outer kernel particularly, it effectively dies. It kind of lays its life down, as it were, in order for the inside embryo, like an egg, to actually form something new. So if you were to look at a seed when it's in the ground, it is perishing. If you leave it there for a while, it will decay, it will putrefy, it will basically disappear in many ways. But then, of course, what happens over time is that what happened to that tiny seed then is totally transformed into something stunning and glorious. A beautiful bush, a beautiful tree, or whatever it might be. And of course, this is what happened to our Jesus. This is what happened to our Jesus. Is that Jesus at the cross, his body was was breaking apart at the cross. His body was subject willingly and voluntarily to that moment of ultimate decay, as it were. And when he came back from the dead, of course, gloriously, like the ultimate 
wonderful example that we have, there was something that came out of that death moment that is absolutely cosmically significant. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you that it is the same for you and me here today. If you're a Christian here today, is that the reality is your body is perishing. Right now, with every passing second, every passing moment, it is perishing. It is falling apart. Now, I think the reality is most of us are aware of this, <laughs> even from a young age. I, one, of my youngest, one of my earliest memories was, you know, there I was about three, this in theory beautiful little boy, and then the dis- doctors discovered there's something really wrong with my left eye, which meant I had to be rushed to hospital, go under general anesthetic, and they had to kind of stretch the eye muscle over so that I didn't go blind. And then I had to wear a patch on my other eye to work that muscle, and it was, it was, it was very painful, very, very painful. Even at a young age, my body was perishing. It was perishing. Then later in my years, I happened to snap my left arm in two places. And the doctors didn't do very well, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that meant that it healed. If You can't probably tell, particularly from there. But one friend of mine who's a physio, he said, the first time I met you, I thought, what on earth happened to your arm? It's like, it is a very, very weird arm, my left arm. Come and have a look later if you want. It's, it's perishing. It's perishing. It is. You know, you get to the ripe, ripe old age of 35 and you can't, you can't steam into the carbs anymore like I used to because my body is changing. You know, if I'm going to stay remotely like this, I have to go be very careful now. My body's perishing. You think about professional footballers. They retire at like 28. Why? Because their bodies can't cope much longer than that, the pace. You think about policemen, police women. Many of them retire in their early 50s. It's not because they're wimps. <laughs> Far from it. It's because th- there's a sense in which the, the mental stress and the emotional stress and the physical stress of that kind of life is so intense. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is an inevitable perishing, a breaking down, a falling apart that this world is absolutely... Just the whole of this world is subject to, even my memory, more and more. I, I just forget where everything is, basically. Where's my keys? Where's my... We're perishing. Now, the, the reality is the world around us feels it, right? It feels it. Your work colleagues, your friends, your parents, they feel it. And we fight it. This world absolutely hates hates to its core of its being this sense of things falling apart, receding hairlines, expanding wastes, memory going. The, the, the world around us loathes it, hates it. We hate it, right? It doesn't feel right. It feels like something's wrong. And, and with our vain attempts, the world injects Botox into bodies and, and goes to the gym, not just you know, to a kind of reasonable amount, but obsessively and eats, if we can just eat this organic food and, and just, not I'm against organic food, but you know, eat this sort of perfect diet and drink this perfect amount of water and live on some special part of the world that's not decaying. And th- th- there is this growing sense of we must somehow reverse what's going on that we can all feel. Right? It's this perishing world that we live in. Everything around us, everything in our bodies is perishing more and more and more. And if you're relatively young here, thinking, oh, I don't know quite what you mean. Just you wait. <laughs> Just wait, brother or sister. It'll come your sweet way. It really will. It is the reality. And this is why, brothers and sisters, this word here, it isn't just some little word. It is dynamite. 
It is this incredible promise to a world that is scrabbling. You can have anything. You can have all the money in the world and all the success in the world. You cannot stop the passing of time and the perishing of every element of who you are. Nobody can do it. Amen? Nobody can do it. And Jesus here, he says through the Apostle Paul in one word, that by the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ promises that although you are sown as a seed, imperishable, sorry, perishable, falling apart, is that one day you will experience a brand new body that will never perish or change. It is the promise and the gift of Jesus Christ. You see, some of you, honestly, as you're hearing this, for you there is genuine depression, there is maybe bipolar, there are things in your body and your mind that are, are massive. And you love Jesus. You love him. But honestly, life is really, really, really hard. Your body is not what you would want it to be. Your mind, your, your being. And you hear this. And, and I would say this. I think this promise of God giving us an imperishable body, I think one of the cruelest ways our bodies can deteriorate is through the mind. I think any element of us. But there's something, isn't there, about when your mind starts to genuinely, over time, break down. If you know people or you yourself have seen that, seriously, it's, it is awful. It is, it is an awful thing. And I love that Jesus here promises through the Apostle Paul. He promises to us, what I've got, you will have, brothers. Hallelujah. The gospel is not just this, oh, this thing about forgiveness, although it is, it is the actual promise that when, when you encounter people in your everyday life who are subject, which is everyone, to one form or another of their lives and their bodies falling apart, in our hearts, we may be thinking, Actually, but we have a gospel that promises not just forgiveness, but the gift of one day an actual body that will never perish or change or fade. And we'll have to have minds that will never forget things, minds that will eternally be able to learn. I love one of the most exciting things for me about eternity is that we will be learning with absolute wonderful focus for eternity. I love that. God is omniscient. We will not be omniscient. That means he knows everything. We will be morally perfect, but it, we, I believe with all my heart, one of the greatest joys of eternity will be learning about God for eternity. I mean, you know, what's the, you know what it's like when you actually discover something new about someone you know, like your wife or something? Oh, <laughs> I never knew that about you. It's quite amazing. After all these years, my love. Just, I mean, if we get a bit excited about as you know, fallen creatures getting excited on planet Earth, on this old Earth, about something that we learn about our loved one, just imagine how exciting it will be when we have resurrected minds and resurrected bodies and a resurrected ability to learn, discovering eternally and learning about our God. It will be absolutely mind-blowing. Imagine the fact that you will be able to honestly discuss science with Isaac Newton, if you want, because he loved Jesus with all his heart. Well, you'll be able to discuss a bit of theology. You don't have to chat to me. You can chat to Luther. Or Calvin, you'll be able to talk to them. What do you think? And if we get confused when we're in those discussions, we can, we can call Jesus over. Jesus, we're confused. Help us understand this. Isn't this amazing? I find it amazing anyway. I find it mind-blowing to think that our resurrected bodies mean that we'll have resurrected minds. We will not be who we are at times. And when you think about people now who are in the clutches 
very obviously, man, this is, this is so intensely practical and, and glorious. It fills our hearts with hope that this gospel speaks into every facet of the universe, not just the issue of sin internally, soul, but also how it expresses itself. This is good news, hallelujah. This is tremendous news. This is amazing news. And I would understand if you thought, Tom, this is a bit too much to believe. I understand that. But look at Jesus. It's already begun. We look at his body and we go, what's true for him is true for me. I find that thrilling. I find it thrilling. And I tell you, I had this experience uh, just this week where it was off term. So as a family, we went off to this wood. And uh, we, were, we went to this wood outside of Canterbury. And it was just breathtaking. Just the, the light was immaculate. And it's just this amazing kind of ancient path in this wood. And the trees were all over. It was something like out of Narnia or something. And we, you know, just those rare moments when you've got small kids. They're all getting on well. And it's all just like, oh, this is, this is just wonderful. And we were walking up this path. And it was wonderful. Everyone was just, you know, it was great. And at the top of this, of this hill, suddenly, there was a big break in the trees on the right-hand side. And there was this most absolutely stunning of views over this valley. I mean, it literally was like shocking because you've been in the dark and then suddenly there was this just explosion of gorgeous visual stimulation. And our whole family just stood there like that. Me, Jay-Z, Josie, Lily Poppy, just staring at it. And it was just, it was just extraordinary. And I don't know about you, but this series is doing something to me. Every time something like that happens, I'm thinking, oh, is this, this going to be another taste? Is this, is this element going to be here? Is it going to be a bit like? And later on, I felt a bit sad at first. When I thought, I thought it was such a sweet, beautiful moment. I felt sad. I thought, well, they're going to grow up. They might not even like that after a while. You know, and we had that moment, but it's all perishing. It's all going. You know, it's there. The sweeter it is, the sadder you feel than when it's not there. You know, taking frantic photos to try and hold on to that moment. It's all perishing. And then, and then I suddenly realized, as long as they all give their lives to Jesus, and so far, it's looking good, keep praying, we will be together for eternity. Hallelujah. We, hallelujah. We will. I will know them, God willing, for eternity. We will be able to drink in. And if that was amazing... Just imagine what it will be like with, on a resurrected earth with resurrected eyes and resurrected nostrils that can smell in the most stunning of smells. Well, I'm excited about it anyway. I, I, I just, this is mind-blowing. What a gift. What a kindness of our God. Listen, this world idolizes family, right? That's the massive idol of our time. I hope you know that. And I love family, but it's an idol. And, and everyone just says, oh, it's all, this life is just all about your family. And I, to a degree, I know what people are saying. Just imagine as Christians, we can offer. Listen, the offer of Christianity is that if you all give your lives to Jesus, you can actually enjoy eternity knowing one another as part of God's great family in a resurrected earth. Um, I'm, I've just never seen this before. Maybe I'm just a thicky here. I've never seen that's what the gospel is. It's not just this. It's huge. It's immense. Do you get it? It's massive. It's what she, we, we've got to have it in our souls. when we. And I can't help, but it's a worship series and it's a mission series. It's both. You worship God. Thank you, God. Praise you, God. And I don't want anyone to miss out. I don't want a single soul not to be able to 
to experience that, what a gift. We are called by God to have faith in this gospel. It's amazing. And it involves, first of all, just point number one, is that we will have imperishable, never-changing bodies with our minds and every faculty in perfect working order. Hallelujah. But secondarily, he then says, we are sown, look at this with me, we are sown in dishonor. We are raised in glory. I love this. It gets even better. You see, you know, think of a little seed going into the ground. There is a certain sort of dishonor to it, you know. So there it goes, in it goes. It's not particularly impressive. It putrefies. It breaks down. Think of a dead body. There's few things that are more kind of yuck than a dead body, right? It's not a pleasant thing, particularly after a couple of days. It's really, ooh, there is a certain dishonor and shame and unpleasantness to it. But think about what that seed as it were, gives birth to. Think about the glory, the, the, the difference between that little seed falling apart in the earth and then this stunning oak tree or beautiful plant or flower or bush or whatever it might be. You think about the contrast. The glory is made more glorious because of the contrast. And you think about Christ and he willingly took the shame of the cross, that ultimate seed, embracing the horror and the shame because of your sin and my sin. But then being raised to life and displaying the glory of this incredible body. And then saying, it is now available to all who would ask. <laughs> that's crazy town. That's, that's unbelievable that he would offer that. Again, and this is so key because I want to say this with all tenderness. Whether you know it or not, one of the main ways that you will feel a certain sense of shame or dishonor in your life is through your body. You often always think that, but it's actually true. We're not the biblical view of humans is humans, not humans, humans is not that we are the internal spirit and we're just sort of housed in a body. It's not true. In Genesis, it's when the two come together. That's what a human is. We're body and spirit. Where death separates and tears the two apart temporarily. That's not natural. That's not what God originally wanted. We're together, spirit and body forever, right? That's what the end goal is. Now, now that is incredibly important that you realize that because we do things, we sin, and our body is involved with that. We say things with our mouth. We just wish we'd never said. We look at things with our eyes that we wish we'd never looked at. We go places with our feet that we know we shouldn't have ever really gone. We do things with our hands that we just know we should never have done. Our, our bodies are actually a huge source of genuine shame and dishonor at times. And it's because of us, the fact that we sin. But even more than that, it's not just that because we sin through our bodies that they can be a source of shame and a reminder. And, but also... The culture around us, of course, is in many ways very sinful and actually can bring a huge amount of shame on us about our bodies. And you might not even realize, you might say, really? Yeah, it's, all, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I remember growing up as a teenager, my most vulnerable of my, of my life, and I had really bad skin from age 12, and the culture said, that's, that's not good, Tom. I felt a crushing sense I contemplated suicide in my teenage years several times. 
mainly because of my acne. It was so bad. I had terribly fuzzy, crazy hair. Because of my eyesight, I had large, uncool glasses. I had loads of teeth. I had to have 14 teeth pulled out. 14. And then the ones that were there, the, the dentist said, they really decay very easily and they're subject to discoloration. And they're really wonky. Thanks, God. Now God, God looks at me and he loves me. The culture looks at me and it doesn't. Do you understand? And I felt that. Some of you in this room, you feel it with your body. You do. Some of you, it's subtle. You just feel like you're too big or too skinny. You're too tall, too, too short. Wrong hair, wrong hair color. You compare yourselves. You do. For some of you, it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of more developed than that. It's a, a genuine eating disorder. You do struggle with that. You struggle to be able to see food as a blessing. It just, it's a cycle of either too much or too little and, and anorexia and bulimia. Even now, there's this big, bigorexia. Have you heard about that? Men who are muscle builders, but they see themselves as incredibly small and puny. And it's this demonic, horrible, lying culture around us. It's absolutely massive. Our bodies around us. You know, there's even a program called Embarrassing Bodies. Let's have a look and have a laugh at all the people who've got embarrassing bodies. And bless them, they put themselves in that show, probably in the vain hope of some sort of therapy or something only for a nation to laugh at them. And some of you, because of your skin colour, you felt a certain wrong shame. And you felt second class. And it is, oh, it is not the heart of God. And you love Jesus. But still at times, for whatever reason around us, you've just felt, I don't, I'm not sure, I feel quite... It's a source of shame, rightly or right, I just feel it. And this is what the world feels. Do you understand that? This is the culture you are immersed in and I am immersed in and it is absolutely epidemic and massive. And the world tries its best to try and fight it. It does everything it can to try and make unity if there's racism and, and make people feel okay. But ultimately, there's such little power in human efforts to solve these things. There's such little power. And that's why when we read this word here, what is sown in dishonour is raised in glory. It is really relevant. It's really relevant. That word glory is the language of kings and royalty. It is saying that the gospel is a gospel of profound equality. And there's going to come a day, no matter whatever source of dishonour, whatever, wherever it's come from in your life, it will one day be gloriously, stunningly a thing of the past as you behold your resurrected body with a resurrected people to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. That really will happen. Whatever your source of shame or dishonor, maybe it is, maybe, maybe you did have an abortion. And you've, you, you, for you, it's just... It's just this source of ongoing shame and just you just wish you'd never done it. And you, you wish you'd go back in time. Maybe it's for you and you had an affair. And so for you, your body is always associated with something 
that is not what you wish. Or perhaps it's not something that you did yourself, but you've just, maybe you've even been attempted, you've tempted, been tempted to or even engaged in self-harm at times because of, you, you just, you hate how you look. You hate it. Or you've just felt that comparison. And what we see here, this glorious truth, is that your body will be one day, it will be made glorious. You will see it as glorious. I don't know exactly what it will look like. I don't know whether it will be big and muscly or whatever. Sorry, Bible doesn't say. But what I do know is, is that it will be something that you will be so thrilled with. And you will never again, you will never again be reminded of anything done in the body or a culture that has any way poured any kind of comparison or scorn as you will be liberated and you will be in the presence of a, a people who together, through their bodies, are bringing glory to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, not just for your sin and your shame, but for your body as well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to build a culture where something of that atmosphere is even now. Amen. Amen. I want that. I want it as parents that we, with our kids, when our kids bodies and their minds don't allow them to do that thing that you want them to do that we we don't judge we don't bring dishonor or shame on our kids because they're not going to make a lot of money we build a culture here like that city that place that time where we say god bless you you can be brilliant at that thing it might not have lots of glory in this world you doing that role paul was a tent maker i think he did it to the glory of god he worked with his hands. I want to build a culture where we celebrate every single thing that God calls us to do, whether it's glamorous or whether it's not. Amen. I want a culture which does that because that is where we're going. I want a culture in this church where when we think about the poor and the homeless and those who have so little, we actually look through, we look at them through the lens of Jesus. The lens that Jesus, he doesn't see them in that way. He sees them as actually who they could be one day. Robed in glory. Robed in glory. I'll never forget, um, many years ago now, I had the joy of going to Table Mountain, which is in South Africa, Cape Town. It's this extraordinary mountain. It's like a table. And, um, and we were, I was there with a mate of mine called Julian Adams. And Julian's coloured. He's from the townships there. Lovely guy. And um, we went up to the top of the, to the hill. And we were up there chatting away. And suddenly without any warning, this group of about eight or nine black guys just started singing. <laughs> and they could sing. <laughs> and they just started singing this gospel song. I can't remember what it was. And every visitor just went quiet. And they were just singing and singing in perfect harmony, free as birds, just singing their hearts out. And they went on and on. And the presence of God was palpable. <sighs> and then they finished. And Julian looked at me and he said, that's a miracle. Ten years ago, that would have never happened. Black men up here, singing at the top of their lungs with no worry about anything that could happen to them. That's a miracle. Hallelujah. It's a taste of what it will be like. Every nation, not all the same. Hallelujah. He's preserving the nations. Diversity. But stunning glory. Stunning glory. And finally, this, this incredible promise is not just 
from dishonor to glory, but also from weakness into power. He says it here in the same verse. He says, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Again, the seed idea carries right the way through. The seed is clearly a weak little thing and it falls apart and it's all obviously weak. And yet gloriously, give it time, give it water, give all it needs. And this resurrected, stunning thing comes out of it in amazing power. To think that that bush, that that plant, that that flower came from that. That's just, what? To think that Christ's amazing, glorious resurrection, only a few days after the horror and the weakness of the cross. And to think that when you go to glory, when you die, whatever that will be, you will be so weak. You will be so weak. You might not think you are, my friend. You are. We all are. We are so, we're so weak. We're so weak in every element of who we are, physically, <laughs> emotionally, mentally. I, I, I love, I really love Jesus and he's so good and he's changed me a lot over the last 17 years, but I, I'm still really weak emotionally. I just am. I get really angry when I fail. I cover it up and I'm, I'm getting better. But still, if I fail at something, it creates an anger rather than just a, oh. I can, I can still emotionally be really weak when it comes to feeling fear. If I feel, I don't know if they quite approve of me. I'm emotionally weak when it comes to worry. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry, right? Okay, hmm, I worry all the time. Bit of a problem, that one. I won't ask for a show of hands. We just think, that's a nice little saying Jesus said. It wasn't, it was a command. It was a command. It was really clear. Don't worry. Do not worry. It's like a long bit of scripture. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm really weak in many ways, despite the renewing of my mind. All that God's doing, I am weak. The reason I'm preaching here, the reason I'm physically preaching is because Martin Segal, who is meant to be preaching, has been in bed all week. Physically weak, ill, flu-ridden. As I was preparing this sermon, Matt Spock in the offices knocked on my door and hobbled in. Do you want a cup of tea? I thought, what's right with you? He's like, I don't know. My knee's in absolute agony. Has been for weeks. I'll go. Off he goes. His body is weak, falling apart. It's in pain. My dad rings me two days ago to say, son, sorry, I can't come down next week after all because my wrist, I've been playing drums too much. It's just in absolute agony. I can't even change gear in the car now. It's, Please pray for me. It's so bad. Everywhere I look, Everywhere I look, everywhere I look, it's, it's everywhere. Weakness, pain, difficulty. It's in this church, it's, it's everywhere around us. And, and the world, again, knows this, it senses it, and it's desperate for any kind of solution. And I praise God for doctors. I really do. They are God's gift. I praise God for nurses. But do you know what? Ultimately, we are all going to die. And in comparison with your mighty God, you're pretty weak. <laughs> you are like a little seed. Boop, boop. Even if you go in the prime of your life, you're like a little seed that's really, really weak. You know, try arm wrestling someone. You're weak. We are so weak in all those ways. And that's why I love this verse. What is, what is sown in weakness will be raised in power. In power. Not just raised, but it will be raised in power. One commentator says, he says, my body is weak and listless and slow in motion. 
However, my heavenly body will be as fire, as quick and nimble as my thoughts are. I love that. I hope it's true. I think it will be at least partly true, if not entirely true, that no longer will we be, will be physically so hamstrung and limited by the physicality of our bodies, but we will be raised in glory from our taste buds to our toenails, from our hands to our hearts. Never again will we have toothache or a headache or heartache. We'll never have car sickness again. Hallelujah. No car sickness, no more back pain, no more cancer, no more AIDS, no more Ebola. God is making all things new. He really will do it and everyone who knows him will share, will partake in his incredible promise that he gives us. But the amazing thing is it won't simply be, it won't simply be the absence of those things, although it will be. What we see here is this this promise of the presence of this new body that actually is beyond even what we can fully comprehend. Jesus, as I said, disappeared before them. He walked apparently through a wall. He ascended into heaven. I don't want to run away with myself here. But is it possible? Is it possible in our resurrected bodies that we might be able to dive in the ocean like a dolphin? Is it possible that we might be able to run as fast as a cheetah? Is it possible that we might be able to even fly? I do not know. I do not know. But Jesus ascended into, into heaven. And, 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 and I think what this leads us to conclude is that when it says you will be raised in power, that I think we can dare to imagine and let our imaginations actually in many ways be stimulated by this. Be stimulated by the wonder of what Jesus is saying here. But what I love this, and, and with this I'll finish, is that how can we as a people prepare for this? It's the question we, we inevitably think about. What, how can we actually prepare for this kind of glory? How can we get ready in any way, right? Anyone here wants to kind of at least be vaguely ready for when this happens? And what 2 Corinthians 4 so shockingly tells us is it says this. It says, for our light and momentary sufferings, they are preparing for us. An eternal weight of glory. That when we suffer, when we go through physical or emotional or mental sufferings, although we hate them and we don't want them and we despise them, the Bible tells us that somehow at a deep level, what is happening is something that only can happen through sufferings. There is a reminder that things are not as they should be. There is a reminder of that. And as painful as it is, eventually it's designed to cause us to actually go back to the one that we so often forget. And as we do that, as we continue to do that, we are being prepared. As we go to him and say, Lord, would you bring freedom? Would you bring breakthrough? And if you don't, sustain me. Give me one more day of grace to suffer well for your glory. And as that happens, sufferings, as awful as they are, they are this unique thing that prepares us for glory. I love that it doesn't say the good times in your life, the victorious times in your life, the mountaintop times of your life are preparing you for a weight of extraordinary joy. You might think that, mightn't you? The good times where everything's a bit like heaven. They're getting you ready for heaven. He says the opposite. He says when you're in those times where actually you feel least like you're winning, least like you're victorious, there is a gift that God is doing that, a quiet but real work he wants to do where he is preparing you, preparing you so that you can see his power and his glory at work in those times when you feel most weak. I will never forget the time 
when my uncle, my uncle Brian, who was literally the most active man I've ever met in my life, he was extraordinary. He, he, he had a massive allotment, a massive garden. He was continually gardening and doing more gardening. He used to get up at 4.30 every day and bake fresh bread every day. Um, he was just this dynamo of a guy. He loved Jesus. He used to bell ring. He used to cycle everywhere. Uncle Brian, he was just amazing. And then he got motor neurons disease. And then he got motor neurons disease. And I remember going to visit him when it was quite progressed. And if you don't know much about motor neurons disease, I don't know a lot, but it is, it is a ghastly, horrible awful disease which effectively shuts you down bit by bit by bit and I'll never forget going into that hospital where he was preparing myself as a quite a young guy going in and seeing him there every breath fighting for every breath as he was nearing death fighting and I'll never forget the fact that just involuntarily it seemed the expression on his face was one of a massive smile the whole time. And it wasn't fake. It was the power of God at work in him, despite all that weakness, sustaining him breath by breath by breath. And I'll never forget the last thing he did was he, he looked at me and he just winked. He always winked. And he just, even then in that last moment, he was still giving. And he was a man, a humble man, had a humble job, but he was a man who who knew where he was going. He knew where he was going and he was ready. And the path to it was agony and hellish. But he knew that what was sown in incredible weakness was going to be raised imminently in incredible power at that day when Jesus says he returns and he will raise the dead to life. He knew that was going to happen. It wasn't just some other thing. He knew it in his soul. That's a rich man. That's a rich man. I want to be like him. I want my kids to be like him. I want you to be like him. And it's the offer today. Real treasure. It's available today. Should we stand to our feet? I want to just pray for us. And I, I just want to say, if you're here and you are actually sick right now, mentally, emotionally, or physically, <laughs> imagine, that's a lot of us. Just quickly pop your hand in the air. I'm not going to protract this. I just feel faith just for a moment. And I want us to do this together. I'm going to lead us through the mic, but I want us as a church in this moment of faith, we are going to be raised one day. And God says that should stir your hearts. Yes, to keep going, but yes, to say, God, let something of that break in today. If you're next to a brother or a sister who's just vulnerably put their hands out, don't just stand there. Just rest your hand in an appropriate part, perhaps on their shoulder, and I'm going to count to three, and I want us just to lift our voices, church. Are you, are you willing to do that? If you're not a Christian here, or you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to. But I think most of us here would just say, yeah, let's just pray for the relief, the relief in the bodies, or the minds, or the emotions. So let's, let's just lift our voices. One, two, three. Lord Jesus, we just pray right now. Lord God, in view of your promise that you will transform our lowly bodies into glorious bodies. We pray now for a sneaky bit of that inheritance right now. I pray, God, the goodness of Jesus, that you died and rose again to purchase for us freedom 
from these things that are across this room. I lift every brother, every sister, every person right now who would say, that's me, I feel that. Even if it's an emotional scarring from something in the past, we pray, let the healing of Jesus be upon us today. Let the healing of Jesus be upon us today. Even now, just Lord, we just pray, moves. We speak to sickness, we speak to pain, we speak to every kind of thing that you don't want in these minds, bodies, or emotions. And we say, let there be glorious healing for the glory of God, for the glory of God. We thank you. You've healed cancer in this church, Lord. You've healed people with strokes. And it's like it never happened. That doesn't happen. You've done it, Lord. We pray again right now. We don't just ask polite prayers. We ask for the glory of God to be manifest in East Kent today. Lord God, to secular minds and cynical minds that they would hear about what you're doing here. God, we ask it for your glory and for the relief of your children. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus, bless your name. Bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you feel there's been a change, or, uh, yeah, even not immediately, or it might be immediately, please tell us. We don't just want to pray and then go, well, nothing's going to happen. No, no, we expect things to happen, amen? God loves to do things, even with a... Mustard seed of faith.